Welcome back to the 4 for 4 Fantasy Football NFL Team Preview Series. I'm Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. We took a week off, little vacation, refreshed and replenished, and we returned today to take a deep dive into the monsters of the Midway, the Chicago Bears. And of course, we have an expert to come join us today. Thrilled to have him aboard, Jacob Infante. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob Infante24. He's a lead NFL draft analyst. He's a writer for the Windy City Gridiron, and he's actually working with the 33rd team football group as well, which is a great group of people. Please welcome Jacob, folks. Jacob, how are you doing today? Hey, Mike, I'm doing great. Uh, I, I feel well-rested, which is really weird for me. So uh, you're getting me on a good day, truth be told. <laughs> I love it. Refreshed and replenished here to talk about the Bears. A lot going on here, Jacob, for the Bears. Year one of Matt Eberflus's tenure in Chicago – First-year head coach after serving as defensive coordinator, of course, for the Colts. Three seasons he replaced Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy peaked in that year one 12-4 record. Of course, the tough playoff loss. But since then, 8-8, eight 8-8, eight, eight and 8-6, eight, and 11. Ryan Poles is in. He replaces Ryan Pace as GM. So talk about the vibe, the changeover here, both at the top with the administration and the head coach as we move into the 2022 season. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of uh, encouragement for the long run. I don't think that too many people are expecting the Bears to be great this year, but all signs point to Matt Eberflus being a very good culture guy, just an overall bright football mind who surrounds himself with good talent uh, on the coaching staff. So I'm excited for that. I think that you're looking kind of in that realm of Sean McDermott where, okay, he's not an offensive-minded head coach like the league's trending towards, but he knows how to bring in good coaches around him. He knows how to lead a team. And I think that's huge after uh, the locker room honestly kind of fell apart under Matt Nagy this past year. And it's, it's disappointing because like you mentioned, it started out so strong with Nagy and he was coach of the year in his first year and culture seemed like such a big thing. Everyone was buying in and then, you know, over time things started to fall apart, fall apart. So I think that it's more of a long-term thing with Eberflus and Poles. Uh, I'm encouraged to see what happens, but I don't think this is a team that's ready to compete quite yet. I think give it some time, but I think that there are some pieces in place that are encouraging for long-term development. Well, I think the key is the biggest question mark and how it's going to play this year, which is the offensive line. Our Justin Edwards here at 444 ranks all the offensive lines. They actually put Chicago 32nd last among all teams entering this year. There's talent on the roster, Jacob, but I think the play of the offensive line is going to be critical, especially with a young quarterback. They ranked dead last in adjusted sack rate last year, and they lost, of course, offensive guard James Daniels to Pittsburgh. Talk about the old line because in the fantasy football community, not a lot of positivity here with this line if it can play well maybe this team can really surprise this offensive line Mike is just really confusing there are a lot of question marks uh like you mentioned I think that you're looking at the roster and Tevin Jenkins is the biggest question mark of them all he's a second round pick from last year hasn't cracked the starting lineup he's been out for the last few weeks I believe with Something mysterious going on. There are reports of maybe it's injuries. There's some sort of disconnect between him and the coaching staff. Regardless of if Jenkins plays or not, there's still not a true star on that offensive line. You're looking at potential fifth-round rookie Braxton Jones starting at left tackle. Uh, well, they brought in Riley Reef, but there's still, in my opinion, Braxton Jones, I think, has a chance to crack the starting lineup, whether that's left tackle, right tackle, 
what have you. And you got Larry Borum, who's starting another fifth round pick from last year. Interior, stronger now. You brought in uh, Michael Schofield as, an, uh, as a free agent recently. I think that's a massive upgrade over what they're going to have at right guard. Lucas Patrick, decent center. Cody Whitehair, decent left guard. There's no star there, though, and I think that that's going to hold back the upside that this group has. I'm really interested in seeing what they do at right tackle because that's either going to be Larry Borm, Tevin Jenkins, or even Braxton Jones. And Larry Borum, as a fifth-round, second-year guy, he's the most proven out of all of them, and that's not necessarily something that you want to feel super confident in at this point. So there's a lot of room for error. I don't think the floor is super high. But then again, I think a lot of it comes down to do you trust the scheme? Do you trust the offensive linemen to pull off the scheme and to work well together? Because even if they're not fantastic individually, if they work together as a cohesive unit, then that's ultimately all that matters at the end of the day. So I think that that's going to be something to watch the first couple of weeks. Again, I don't think the upside with this offensive line is super high just because there's not a star there. But I do think that there's potential for maybe this group to come together, especially that you're bringing in Reef and Showfield. You maybe show the ropes to some of the younger guys that they have there. But yeah, it, it's a lot of question marks. There's definitely reason to be concerned. So I'm not super optimistic, but there's some solid depth there. So I guess that's one good thing to look at. If there's any of the starters that go down, I don't think there's going to be a massive drop in play. So for a fantasy perspective, I think that's something to consider. Yeah, and Sean McDermott had success in Buffalo with the unit playing well together, even though there wasn't great individual talent. So there is history for that. And it really is the front, so the centerpiece here for Justin Field. 12 games under his belt last year, Jacob. Versatile player, four QB1 performances in his last five games. So had a good finish to the season. He ranked fifth among all quarterbacks with 35 rushing yards per game and had 100 on the ground in the comeback there that fell a little bit short against San Francisco. What do the fans want to see in year two with Fields? What would be progress? for him as he's really settling in as the franchise quarterback so with fields i think that obviously some sort of tangible progress is what they want to see obviously he's a, a talented quarterback he's got a good arm he's very athletic he's a smart player uh but there obviously you know room there's room for improvement with him i think that we saw a decision making at times uh can he, he can uh he can stand to speed that up, I guess is the best way to put it. And there are other instances where he can climb the pocket better instead of rolling out. And, you know, that puts him at more of a risk for a sack. But I think with, if you're looking at fields from a production perspective, I think that more explosive plays, I think that he did look very good in the flashes that he was able to show throwing the ball down the field. I think we'll see more of that this year. If he can have a better touchdown to interception ratio, I think that's going to be massive for him. Uh, I mean, completion percentage obviously is something that can improve because he was near near the bottom of the league in terms of starting quarterbacks in that regard. But I, I just think that speeding up from a mental processing perspective, because by all accounts, he's a very bright guy who can pick up on concepts quickly. So it's just a matter of translating that to the playing field. But that, I think, is important. And then the pocket presence, that's including the natural deep ball accuracy that he has, a good arm, great athleticism. I think that there's 
a good possibility that Fields has a strong season. And from a fantasy perspective, I think you're looking at him as I believe he's being drafted. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mike, but as like a low end QB two, that's generally where the ADP is for him right now. Yeah, he's usually middle QB2. The, the rushing ability is there. Obviously, questions like you mentioned, but that rushing ability, the upside, some of the weapons we'll talk about, has him sort of the mid QB2 area. Yeah, no, and I think that this is just me. Maybe this is my bias as a Bears fan showing, but I'd rather take a shot on Justin Fields where his ADP is currently than Trey Lance where his ADP is. and Because Trey Lance, you're looking at, sure – it's a better scheme and a better system, but Fields is arguably more pro-ready, and Lance still has a lot of the same on-the-field concerns. So I'd take that shot on Fields being drafted much later than Lance, who's being drafted as a you know a borderline QB1. So, yeah, that's just my opinion. I think that Fields has the chance to really outshine his current project- projected fantasy value. And even if he doesn't, he still has that running ability that I think he'll be a strong QB2 this year. Yeah, Fields has really gained steam here. He is now the QB16 in underdog fantasy best ball rankings behind Kirk Cousins, ahead of Tua, and Trevor Lawrence. So he has picked up steam here, Jacob, last few weeks. Let's go to the backfield. From a fantasy perspective, David Montgomery continues to be underrated. He ranks second among running backs in Snapshare, who's on the field a ton. 50 red zone touches despite only playing 13 games. Khalil Herbert back as well. Bears did spend a six-round pick on speedster Tristan Ebner from Baylor. Still only 25 years old, David Montgomery. How do you project him? Is he going to be the workhorse again for the Bears? Truth be told, I think the Bears are going to go more of a committee approach than they have in recent years. I think just look at Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator. Look at what happened in Green Bay. Last year, he was their quarterback's coach and you know pass game coordinator. So obviously, he's not calling the plays there. But I think we'll see something similar that what we saw with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, where it was practically a 50-50 split. So I'm expecting, obviously, Montgomery is going to get a good amount of touches. I think that he'll also see some action in the passing game because I think he's honestly a really underrated receiving back. He's not. He doesn't have that big playability, but he's sure-handed and he's got good ball skills. So he offers some value there. But Khalil Herbert is a very good fit in the system. He showed a lot of promise when he stepped in for David Montgomery being hurt. I think that Khalil Herbert's in for a bigger year than he had last year. So Montgomery, I'd approach with caution, uh, especially in like a dynasty league where he's entering free agency this year. I don't think the Bears are going to bring him back. Uh, So there's, you know, there's concern there from a dynasty perspective, but still, I think Montgomery is going to have a good year. I think he's, you know, a solid RB2. I wouldn't draft, I would go out of my way to draft him super highly because I think that, again, Herbert's going to eat into those touches. Uh, Treston Ebner, I think, could get some sort of role in this offense. I don't think he's going to have like a monster year or anything, but I think they'll utilize him as, you know, a receiving back in some cases out of the backfield, out of the slot, what have you. So, yeah, I'd say Montgomery's not a workhorse in this offense anymore, but I still think he'll have a solid year. Yeah, Montgomery going as RB20 on underdog fantasy after Cam Akers right ahead of J.K. Dobbins and Josh Jacobs. The receivers, Jacob, you know, there's really questions sort of how this is going to shake out with no Allen Robinson. Robinson did not have a great year last year with the Bears. Now he's with the Rams. Sort of a mini breakout for Darnell Mooney last year. 140 targets, 11th among wide receivers. 
over a thousand yards, four touchdowns. Bears added Byron Pringle. Nikhil Harry has done some nice things so far in camp and had a third round pick here on Velas Jones. Tight end position, Cole Komet, a guy I think can take a huge step forward if you're a late-round tight end guy, had a strong finish to the year. Is Mooney in for the monster year with the Bears as the wide receiver one? And who is going to be second? Where's the target distribution here for Justin Fields? I really think that Darnell Mooney is in for a huge season because, like you mentioned, sure, they brought in some weapons, but none of them really project as high-end fantasy players. I think that you know, Byron Pringle should be able to get a decent amount of touches. I think he'll get the second most targets at the receiver position. And I think Cole Komet will get a good amount of touches as well. Darnell Mooney, I think, is someone that, you know, if you haven't drafted yet, you need to target. Because at this rate, I think he has, and, and this that might sound a little bit bold, I think he has low-end wide receiver one upside just because – he had a really good year last year. He's in an offense that plays to his strengths now. He's going to unlock the opportunity for him to stretch the field vertically and get those big chunk plays. Uh, so I think that for just many reasons, Mooney is in line for a really good year if he can stay healthy, which he has proven to be able to in the NFL. And Pringle could be a decent backup option for a fantasy team. I think that he'll get a decent amount of touches, maybe not – an insane amount of yards, but I think that they'll target him out of the slot a good amount sometimes. And Cole Komet, I think is one of those players I think is going to have more value in fantasy than he does in real life. He, at least we saw last year that he was targeted pretty heavily and he got a good amount of receptions and receiving yards. But again, you know, the advanced analytics indicate they weren't necessarily super efficient and some of them came in garbage time or on checkdowns on third and long where, okay, he very clearly isn't being intended for, you know, to pick up the first down. It's just to gain yards. So maybe not the most efficient from an in-game perspective, but for fantasy, you know, he's sure-handed, he's big-bodied. I think he's going to get some more targets in the red zone to open up more touchdown opportunities for him. So Komet's a guy I'd take a shot on as a backup tight end in fantasy. Again, I don't think – the ceiling's super high, but I also think the floor is pretty high with him just because who else is going to get touches? I don't, I think Valus Jones will get some, you know, manufactured touches, but again, I don't think he's going to be like a super high volume guy. So I think Mooney absolutely target Pringle, keep an eye on late Komet, I think could be a solid tight end too. Yeah. Komet going as tight end 12 and Dornell Mooney can't agree with you more, Jacob. Wide receiver 28 in fantasy, not even being drafted as a wide receiver two, even though he is the clear wide receiver one and is coming off a big year last year. Jacob, this has been fantastic. One more question. We'll get you out of here. Bears schedule and projection. Bears get a nice break. Fourth easiest projected schedule per Vegas opposing win totals. Bears only a six and a half win total. That is juiced to the under. You mentioned it. People are not thinking much of the Bears this year, but you have a dynamic quarterback. You have some uh, uh, an explosive players on offense, and you have a new coaching staff. You can get plus money odds, Jacob, on a 7-10 and 10 season for the Bears. How do you see the schedule and win total in 2022? Uh, man, it's tough because I think that six and a half win total, it's, I, it can really go either way. I have them at six and 11. Uh, I wouldn't at all be shocked if they go seven and 10 though, or maybe somehow if they crack eight, and nine, I think that's realistically their ceiling. Uh, I'm going to go under for six and a half. I know bears fans probably won't be too happy with me about that. 
I just think that, you know, this team's a massive work in progress and you're relying a lot on young, generally unproven guys to step into big roles. And I think that Fields is going to take a next step. I don't know if he's going to become, you know, a top tier quarterback this year. I think if he does that, that's going to be in 2023. But I think Fields is going to get better, but there's still a lot of question marks on the offense. I think they still need a true star. I think Mooney can become a very good player, but they need another weapon that can really uh, put fear into opposing defenses. And defensively, I mean, they lost a lot of talent up front. I don't think they're going to be able to rush the passer as efficiently as they did last year. And I like what they have in the secondary, but it's a lot of young guys. I think there are going to be some growing pains there. Uh, Next year, though, watch out for the Bears. I think there's going to be a lot. They have a lot of cap space. They're finally going to have, you know, their own first round pick. That's probably going to be pretty high. Uh, So this year, probably not the year for Chicago. uh, But I do think that in the long run, things are encouraging for them. Yeah, and Polls talked about divisional dominance, and that's what they're going for here. Folks, Jacob Infante, follow him on Twitter, Jacob Infante24, lead NFL draft analyst, Bears writer for the Windy City Gridiron. Also check out his work coming up on 33rd Team Football. Jacob, thank you so much for a few minutes here. We're rolling through these teams. Season's coming. We have a preseason game this Thursday. Great insight here on a team that is a focus for fantasy football players, the Bears. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Very important team with a lot of recent news that have gone on, the Miami Dolphins. And we are honored to have David Faronis in, who is a Miami Dolphins beat reporter for the Sun Sentinel. Follow him on Twitter at David Faronis underscore. David, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a busy week. How you doing? Absolutely, Mike. It's always busy in Dolphins land, especially this week. Uh, it absolutely is. And I'm not going to bury the lead. NFL announced the Dolphins will forfeit two draft picks and team owner Stephen Ross suspended through October 17th as a result of the league's investigation into the violation of the integrity of the game with the pursuit of Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Sort of interesting here that it didn't have to do with Brian Flores. You put a lot of great stuff out on Twitter. Just give us a quick rundown here of what's going on and, and how is the team reacting to this? Sure, of course. Well, uh, from a team perspective, I, we covered their practice today, and uh, it seemed like just business as, as usual for them. Uh, we spoke to assistant coaches before they, they went out to the practice field, and uh, there was one holdover that uh, out of the offensive uh, coaches that were available, Eric Studesville, running backs coach, and um, he said uh, well, back in 2019, first from the tanking uh, allegations, that he never felt uh, anything like that. It was never communicated to him back then, and uh, obviously uh, tampering violations that goes beyond any assistant coach or any player that would speak afterwards. Players kind of echoed the, the same sentiment. So trying to take it as business as usual, but the team – was uh, docked those two picks, one of them a very valuable one, a first-rounder, also a third-rounder in 2024. That 2023 draft capital takes a hit because uh, having two first-rounders, because they also have the one from the 49ers, and five total picks in the first three rounds, that could have been used if, let's say, this season they determined they cannot move, keep moving forward with Tua Tagovailoa, and he has not proven to be uh, the future for this franchise. And uh, that kind of stockpile of early draft picks could have been very valuable. So that uh, takes a hit from that regard. As far as Stephen Ross being around, uh, yeah, suspended for six games, the 1.5 million is a lot to most people, but probably to him is just pocket change. And uh, as far as him not being around, he, we don't see him a lot uh, around team facilities, not in the past year that I've been out on the beat. Uh, and then you do see him at games. So, you know, that's one thing, but uh, the, the team can move forward and kind of, close that chapter on having that cloud hanging over the team. 
Well, let's move to the players here on the team now. Year one, Mike McDaniel, first-time head coach coming over from San Francisco. New offensive coordinator in Frank Smith, but kept the same defensive coordinator with Josh Boyer, which is interesting because McDaniel cited one of his interviews about the big 43-17 to victory over uh, the Niners in week five of the 2020 season, was impressed with the defense under Boyer. I want to start with Tua Tagovailoa's quarterback, very polarizing player here for the fantasy community. Some think he's going to be unlocked this year, sort of a dark horse MVP candidate with, with a plethora of weapons, Tyreek Hill, Cedric Wilson, Mohamed Sanu. Others think those pieces may have been added because of a lack of Tua being able to maybe guide a team like a traditional franchise quarterback. There was, of course, the criticized social media post you saw earlier this year with Tua throwing to Tyreek Hill. What do you think we see out of Tua here, and how do you think the the passing game is going to divide between the receivers and a deep group of tight ends? Well, now, uh, and everyone says this, uh, I guess I won't avoid the cliche, it's a prove-it year for Tua, and there's no longer any excuses for him. I mean, he's got what he needs now. He's got, uh, from the top down, the support of the head coach. Obviously, we know he and Brian Flores had kind of a frosty relationship, and now Mike McDaniel has been ultra-supportive of, of him since coming over here. He's got the weaponry, Tyreek Hill. I mean, what better to, than to have an explosive playmaker like Tyreek Hill uh, blow the top off of a defense, and he can show, well, can to throw the deep ball? Well, now he'll get his opportunities with, with a guy open. And yards after catch between him and also Jalen Waddle, uh, still having Mike Kosicki there to, to throw up those uh, contested balls to and adding Cedric Wilson. That's uh, you know, as a slot receiver, that's an acquisition that's uh, not to be undermined as well, as well as an improved offensive line. Obviously, the Dolphins had probably the, the, the worst pass protection in the NFL last season, and they ran a lot to try to minimize the impact of it, but uh, that has been shored up to an extent. I know we'll talk about it. Left tackle to Ron Armstead, uh, three-time Pro Bowler being added. So he's got everything he needs. Uh, there's still questions about his uh, his arm. We've seen some instances where it doesn't look top-notch, but then uh, the other day, a uh, clip that went viral, a uh, fan video of his 60-yard uh, 60 air yards and 65 touchdown pass to uh, Tyreek Hill over the top, which was really impressive and something that a lot of fans hadn't seen. Coaches and players tried, kind of shrugged it off like, yeah, you know, we see that every once in a while from him. So uh, he'll have, have his opportunities, and uh, he has the, the playmakers on offense, including the running game. Yeah, that cannot be discounted with how much that will be an emphasis uh, in Mike McDaniel's wide zone blocking scheme. Yeah, let's get to that offensive line. Our own Justin Edwards here at 4 for 4 ranked Miami's offensive line 24th best heading into the season. However, he did note that they can move up very quickly. Big pieces and former Saints lineman Teron Armstead. You mentioned Connor Williams from the Cowboys over. I think, David, this offensive line can be much, much better, which I think is critical for the development of Tua. Right. They probably got to 24th, uh, moving up eight spots from, <laughs> from being about 32 or, or thereabouts. But uh, yeah, Teron Armstead, that's a huge acquisition. Now, before they added Tyreek Hill, that was kind of the prize target that would make the offseason hole for the Dolphins, is uh, targeting him and uh, if they were able to land him, which they ended up doing. So uh, obviously getting that that left tackle franchise cornerstone that uh, also is a, just a big uh, bulldozer in the run game. Uh, Maybe Mike McDaniel can use him similar to how we had Trent Williams in that run game in San Francisco. So if uh, he's able to replicate, come close to anything like Trent Williams, uh, uh, how valuable he is to the 49ers, then that would be huge for the run game. And then also pass protection. Although that's not to his blind side, uh, uh, you need uh, Austin Jackson at right tackle since he's a left-handed quarterback. Uh, now making that transition, if he can kind of flip things over uh, to that side for himself and uh, and, and provided off the smooth transition there. Some other young uh, linemen that need to pick themselves up, Liam Eikenberg, 
And then they added Connor Williams, uh, who will be making a transition. He's, he's been working uh, rather exclusively at center after playing his past four years at, at guard. Sometimes we see some iffy snaps, uh, but uh, nothing that has been too egregious that's been over a quarterback's head, but uh, maybe a slight concern that the, the Dolphins will want to get out of the way in training camp and make sure he's uh, got short up uh, before the season. Yeah, area that we, David, are probably most interested in the fantasy community is running back. Chase Edmonds, two years, $12 million. A lot more than Raheem Mostert got, who only got one year, $3.1 million. However, Mostert did spend five years in San Francisco with McDaniel, Sony Michelle there, Miles Gaskin still lurking. Does Edmonds have the edge? We saw a great uh, video of him. John Paulson here at 4 for 4 talked about him being able to dissect the outside zone running scheme, how he, he really is thinking it through, really wants to make an impact this year. We love guys who can run and catch. Edmonds can do that. Talk about the backfield, how the snaps are going to break down for us here. Absolutely. I think you nailed it with uh, Edmonds' ability to run and catch, which uh, from a fantasy perspective, I would pre predict he would be the most productive uh, out of this group. Uh, because of uh, those those two abilities uh, he has. And, uh, Raheem Mostert, obviously his familiarity with the outside zone scheme, working under Mike McDaniel for years in, uh, in San Francisco and uh, kind of how you saw him uh, take that big step in his career and uh, burst onto the scene, especially 2019, that postseason, uh, where we saw the four-touchdown game against Green Bay in the NFC Championship game. Um, I, I know a full fullback, Alec Ingold, called him the, the dad of the room, of the running back room, because he just – you know, knows the offense front to back and um, is kind of able to be that teacher uh, for everyone else. Edmonds, he's, he's got to adjust to it a little bit because he spoke to us about how uh, he, he's only known the inside zone through college and uh, through his time in Arizona. So uh, he can't even name the last time he wasn't in an inside zone. So now that'll be a little bit of adjustment. The Dolphins also uh, grabbed Sony Michelle later in the offseason. So the guy who uh, out of this whole running back room has the most starts in his career and uh, was the four years now that, that he's been in the league and two Super Bowls. So uh, that super that experience that he has is uh, is really valued in that room. And we're talking about a uh, running back group that still brings back Miles Gaskin. That same time last year, he was considered like RB2 territory and uh, it didn't really pan out for him and then ended up uh, where Duke Johnson and, and Philip Lindsay uh, had surpassed them, you know, midseason pick pickups and acquisitions off the waivers and, uh, and off the street. Uh, although, you know, they've, their established running backs from the past uh, uh, kind of took him over last year. And uh, Savan Ahmed as well that we, we've seen in spurts in the past couple of years uh, produce as well. So uh, a really deep loaded running back room and uh, a lot high competition for those reps and for those final spots, considering also – this offense uses a fullback, so that, that'll be a roster spot. Alec Engold will be involved uh, uh, from that perspective. Yeah, also a quick question here, David, about the defense as a whole. I saw an interview with Xavier Howard, talked about how this defense really coming together as a unit, of course, need that balance. This is a team that has aspirations for the playoffs and beyond. So talk about as a whole just quickly how the defense is looking, because as a unit, they had some very impressive moments here, a little sporadic, but they could come together. Tough AFCs, the Bills lurking. I would think the defense here is sort of a focal point. They look good early on, I think. Definitely, yeah, the defense last year was really a tale of two halves, and that second half of the season was where they turned it on and had a dominant stretch. Granted, against a lot of uh, subpar quarterbacks, uh, a lot of the better quarterbacks that they, they saw were early in the season when they were on their losing streak, but uh, you could tell they, they really picked things up, and uh, they kept that unit completely intact for all the starters, 
virtually every contributor and defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer return, even through the coaching transition. Now Boyer will have to prove that he can run this defense without the assist from uh, ex-coach Brian Flores now, because uh, Boyer has always been a Flores guy going back to their time together in New England. So now uh, he has the reins uh, to that unit and, and the unit now we don't see a lot of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones in coverage and team drills during training camp, but it really revolves around that there, uh, them matching up on the outside, allowing the defense to be ultra aggressive, come with the blitz, even the safeties. You know, Brandon Jones, uh, I believe he led the league in sacks for all safeties last season, and Javon Holland, second year standout, he comes in on the blitz a lot. Uh, they bring it from from different levels. Um, Jalen Phillips looking to take a second year leap. Emmanuel Ogba. After a couple of nine sack seasons, finally got his contract. And Christian Wilkins uh, continues to make strides. So, and they added Melvin Ingram, another pass rusher who has three Pro Bowls to his credit now, deeper into his career. So, uh, so a lot going on in this defense continuity, and then adding a guy like Ingram. Great, listen, David. This has been tremendous. Last question: We'll get you out of here. Dolphins schedule and projection. They are right in the middle, 14th hardest strength of schedule per Vegas opposing projected win totals over under around nine at most books, meaning they need to go 10 and seven to get to that over. Big question here, is this Dolphins team still viewed, you think, or is going to end up as the third team in the AFC behind Bills and the Patriots, or are the Dolphins on the move, moving past the Patriots, who they've had success against, by the way, and are they the second-best team, a legitimate playoff contender? This is a team that's last playoff one was 2,000, but I think probably the best chance they've had in a while. How do you project their schedule and season this year for Miami? Right, that Dolphins-Patriots breakdown is probably going to be one of the bigger standings battles that – uh, you know, if you're making early predictions, uh, you know, one to, to look out for. Because when you look at the AFC East, obviously you got to put Buffalo at the top. So um, you're talking a very competitive AFC overall. So if you're talking about Buffalo is going to win the division and then uh, you're trying to get one of those three uh, wild card spots, then the whole AFC West uh, has a strong chance of getting in there. And AFC North, and then obviously Colton Titans, at least in the AFC South. Uh, so it's going to be really important for the Dolphins to try to take that second spot over the Patriots, uh, which hey, they swept them last year, even though uh, they did finish out of the postseason while the Patriots did. And uh, that was bookend uh, wins week one at New England, week 18 at home. And this year they start with week one uh, at home in the sweltering heat and humidity of Miami. And then they take a late game, January 1st, New Year's Day, and what could be a very frigid atmosphere. So Dolphins historically do not fare well in uh, in New England. Also have a late game at Buffalo. The December stretch is very difficult with those road games, back-to-back uh, -back West Coast games, which they might stay on the West for uh, against the, the 49ers and Chargers before then Buffalo and then Green Bay at home and the Patriots. Uh, and then also early season, some tough matchups. So, uh, yeah, it, it depends on what's going to allow uh, an AFC team to get into the postseason is nine and eight enough, 10 and seven enough, obviously a lot of good teams and, but they're going to be playing against each other. So opportunities for, for them to, to beat one another and then uh, tiebreaker scenarios, it'll be a very competitive uh, American football conference. Folks, great insight from David Ferronis. Follow him on Twitter at David Ferronis underscore. Covers the Dolphins for the Sun Sentinel. A lot of stuff going on in Miami. They're a team that we're looking at too. All the weapons, Tyreek Hill coming over. David, thank you so much for a few minutes. You're really looking forward to the season and best of luck. Absolutely, Mike. Anytime.
We head to Denver, Colorado to talk about the Broncos, a team that I'm very, very interested in and a huge team with fantasy implications. And we are honored to have joining us today, Ryan Edwards. Ryan's from KOA, Colorado. R. Edwards Radio on Twitter. He is a must-follow, has the show 6 to 9 Mountain Time on the Denver Broncos flagship station. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So, Ryan, look, completely new coaching staff here with Nathaniel Hackett hired as head coach. A lot of optimism in Denver. I'm huge on this Broncos team. I think they're going to make a play here for the Chiefs at the top of the division who have won the division six years in a row. They've had a few tough injuries in the in training camp here. Tim Patrick, Damari Crockett out for the year. I would think after three seasons, sort of mediocre seasons there with Vic Fangio, a lot of optimism in Denver this year. Yeah, a lot of optimism, especially about the offense, which we haven't had in uh, quite some time. Even the final year of Peyton Manning, we didn't have a lot of optimism out here in Denver. So it's been a minute. Uh, we even saw a little bit of the drop-off from Manning in 2014. So we're, we're approaching like seven, eight, nine years. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, you know right now, you Russell Wilson's going to bring uh, up the overall floor of this offense, right? I mean, I think that uh, the expectations, it's always been about potential with this receiving core, the potential of Jerry Judy as a first rounder, the potential we've seen with Cortland Sutton when he's a pro bowler just a few years ago before his injury, the, the potential of Albert Okawebanon as a four or five tight end, right? We've seen some flashes from him. No Noah Fant here. So now he's kind of freed up to have some opportunity. KJ Hamler is, is a burner, right? And we know what Tyler Lockett looked like in Seattle. So we have some hopes that maybe he can fill in a little bit of that role. So there's a lot of optimism there about the offense, the running backs, both Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams were very productive last year. I know in fantasy circles, you hate the running back by committee, but both got both guys are going to be valuable this year. So, um, and I know we're going to get into all that, but yeah, I think overall optimism for this team is, is pretty high. Yeah. Optimism, certainly very high. And let's get into the running back area. Cause I think Ryan, that is the most critical part for us. Fantasy people, a lot of comments on Twitter recently about the touch distribution between Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. We heard reports 70, 30, we heard reports 55, 45 Javante Williams, very, very talented back really has the, the full three down workhorse role, but Melvin Gordon was brought back. He did not have to come back, but they brought him back. Talk about the touch distribution this year in the backfield for the Broncos. Well, the expectation here locally is that Javante will be the lead back though. Of course, Melvin Gordon is going to get some opportunities. There's no question about it. I, I we don't really quite know. We, we saw with Pat Shermer, how he liked to do it. It was exactly 50, 50, with Nathaniel Hackett, it could be a little bit of a mix. You might even see some opportunities like in Green Bay with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon where, hey, one guy's the running back, one guy's a receiver more in that role. I could see some of you know mixing and matching a little bit depending on the matchups that they're looking for. But um, I would want, if I'm drafting, I would want uh, Javante Williams as the guy that's going to get the most touches. But I would not sleep on the fact that Melvin Gordon might get a lot of goal line work. And that'll be a little frustrating for people. I think that you're starting Javante Williams, I think, in a PP. He's going to be valuable, but so is Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon catches passes out of the backfield because you might get the vulture stuff there with Melvin Gordon. But uh, again, I think as an RB2, if you're thinking like RB2 angle for Melvin Gordon, Javante could push RB1 if he's been ends up being the hot hand. They're going to lean a lot on the run. Uh, understand something here. Russ was brought in to cook. 
There are going to be plenty of opportunities for the receivers, but the make no mistake about it. Russ's experience in the league. We've seen when he has a really good run game, that's when he's at his best. That's how play action works for him. That's how they're going to get those deep shots downfield. So the running, the running game is going to be very much a focal point. And you wonder a little bit here with Tim Patrick being down, if maybe some of those, the distribution of targets might actually go to those running backs. Yeah, and that's my point is I think that there is a chasm of difference in the fantasy community with certain players. I think everyone in the fantasy community across the country wants Javante Williams to get that 70% touch. I think if I'm understanding right, that's not going to happen. Melvin Gordon is here, and he's going to get some of those, as Rich Rebar likes to say, high cholesterol, saturated fat, goal line touches. That's good. Right? That's good. Yes, and, that, and that, that'd be my prediction too. I mean, and again, you, you're thinking about between the 20s, And that's very valuable in fantasy, right? I mean, of course, you want the touchdowns, right? You want the six. But if you think about between the 20s, if he's the guy that's getting the primary amount of touches and you're in a PPR league, well, hey, Javante Williams is is going to be extremely valuable. We're talking double-digit points every single week, and that's that's a nice baseline for almost any running back. And all he has to do is break one from the 30, and then he's getting in for a touchdown. And that's not to say he won't ever be used in the red zone, but it's just to say, okay, well, what, what is Melvin Gordon's role? Is he just going to be a third down back? I think it's going to be a little bit more than that. But again, we're going to have to see how it plays out there on the field. But right now, I think both guys are, are pretty high usage. I draft Javante earlier than Melvin Gordon, but I think he's being, you know, Melvin Gordon is going kind of in the mid rounds. I think he's being slept on a bit. Let's go to the passing game. And the big question here, Sutton versus Judy. Now with Patrick out of the way, who I think would have siphoned some of the goal line work, some of the red zone work there, the passes fade to the end zone. I've been big on Sutton. Sutton produced a few years ago with Joe Flacco and Drew Locke. Right. I think he is the lead guy. Judy, of course, very talented as well. High draft capitals, battled some injuries, but he has produced. Where do you fall there? You talk about tight end as well with the the, the volume distribution here with the wide receivers, tight ends. Well, so far in training camp, it's been the Cortland Sutton show. And, and he's been getting the deep looks. He's been getting the intermediate stuff. And it's not to say that Jerry Judy hasn't been wide receiver too, because he has. But it's it's Cortland Sutton is DK Metcalf if you really want the the comp here and that's the the X receiver the guy that that outside the numbers the way where Russell Wilson wants to throw the ball that's Cortland Sutton so uh, I'd feel very comfortable drafting him in the first three rounds uh, based on just the overall look we've seen so far in how much Russell Wilson likes looking at him but again there's some value right with Jerry Judy KJ Hamler you know Cortland Sutton has been nicked up so not not here in camp but like in the past so then you wonder okay well. Jerry Judy, um, maybe you're going to get some, you know, maybe he'll have some opportunities between the 20s, maybe on some of those pivot routes down by the goal line, some slot work. There might be some stuff there. KJ Hamler only needs a catch, a long catch to, to, to really pay off value. Just like Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. And 100%. Just, yeah, yeah. Right. 100%. So, you know, you get into that, that round. I, I'd say a little bit of a sleeper here. Okay. So you got Albert Okawebe and Amano. People are excited about what he could do. And I think that he's going to have a, a pretty, consistent role in the offense okay last year I would say Noah fan had 68 catches I don't know if he'll get that far but I say he'll have a consistent role but uh Greg Dulcich is uh, now coming back from a hamstring injury and he's been out there a lot and Nathaniel Hackett loves this dude um I I think that he has uh, some sleeper upside again I'm talking like deeper leagues right but some sleeper upside especially if there's an injury to one more of these receivers I think he's out there a lot more as as a receiver and we've seen for instance Russell Wilson with Jimmy Graham back in the day I think he could be a little bit of that role and get some goal line work. So a little bit of sleeper option there for you. That's a great call. Dulcich, third round pick out of UCLA. Very solid 
metrics, workout metrics across the board here. 6'4", 243, does run a 4'7 at that size. So I agree. I think, and if Alberto ever were to get injured, I think there's huge upside there for Dolphins. Absolutely. Well. Excellent call. Offensive line, our own Justin Edwards has the Broncos offensive line ranked 18th on the 4-4 preseason rankings. Moving towards an outside outside zone rushing scheme, sort of been under the radar. Everybody's talking about Miami doing that with Chase Edmonds, sort of another system change here, and they need to protect Russell Wilson. Listen, I think, Ryan, that Russell Wilson is MVP candidate. I think, like you said, even though they're going to lean on the run, he's certainly going to have the handcuffs off more so than he's ever had with Seattle, but it all starts with the offensive line up front. It certainly does, and I, I think it profiles well for these guys, right? I mean, Garrett Bowles, Dalton Reisner, Lloyd Cushenberry, the left side of the offensive line to the center – they're, they're all athletic guys. I'm not saying they were completely miscast in a power gap, but I think wide zone, using their athleticism, let, letting them use some of that, that speed, I think it's going to fit really well for them. I think Quinn Miners, who's uh, thinned down, he's lost not quite 20 pounds, but just a little under that. He was the belly, right? Everybody knew him from last offseason. Uh, he's thinned down. Uh, Calvin Anderson, it seems like he's set up the right tackle. So they've got, they've got the, the offensive line more or less in place now. And it feels like the wide zone is going to fit them very well. It's going to fit off that play action, the boot stuff they want to run with Russell Wilson. Um, again, the offense, it's coming together. It's its kind of a, a progress. They had their best practice so far of camp just yesterday. So at least right now here locally, everybody's buzzing because they, they're starting to see it all come together. Yeah, let's take a look at the defense now because the defense is going to be critical. This is the best division in football. AFC North, of course, very solid as well. But this year, even last night, Hall of Fame game, I understand that. Raiders look very strong. So I think the defense is going to be critical. Last year, Denver just middle of the road in sacks per game, but then at home, 2.9 sacks per game. Obviously, great home field advantage here for the Broncos. So talk about defensive changes because you're dealing with Patrick Mahomes. You're dealing with Justin Herbert. You know this offense is going to cook. But the question is, will the defense stop them enough to give Wilson a chance to get those victories? Yeah, the defense was good last year. They were third in scoring, but they were bend, don't break. And so they would lock you down the red zone. They didn't allow a lot of points but they allowed teams to move the ball against them. And that was a problem when the Broncos needed one last stop, right? We saw this several times last year against the Raiders, against the Browns. They just couldn't stop anybody. And the defensive line, especially the interior, gave up 4.8 yards per carry, which is just abysmal. So they brought in DJ Jones from San Francisco to really shore things up there on the D-line. They lost Shelby Harris, but they, they feel like DJ Jones is, an, is a bit of an upgrade, especially in the run game. Uh, they brought in Randy Gregory. We haven't seen him just yet. He's going to expected to be around the start of the season. But you know what? Baron Browning, who they drafted last year in the third round of Ohio State, who played inside linebacker for him last year, has been playing um, at, at an outside linebacker role so far in camp, and he's been unstoppable. So I feel like they're in pretty good shape there with the pass rush. They're going to get more pressure. Ajero Evero, who's the new defensive coordinator, came in and said, we have to get after the quarterback. We have to get more pressures. We've got to get more sacks. we got to get more stops and get the ball back in our offense's hands. So they've made a point this offseason to shore up the defensive line, the pass rush, and to really focus on this. The, the secondary has been good. It's going to be good. you got Justin Simmons, who might be the best safety in the league right now. Passer Tan is already in the conversation for one of the top cornerbacks. You're in really good shape in the secondary. The biggest question about the Broncos is really their linebacking core. But Jonas Griffith came in last year, was was kind of a revelation for what they've, they've had there. Uh, sideline to sideline guy. Um, watch out for him. I think he's going to be inside linebacker one maybe even as soon as week one when we're talking about this. Josie Jewell's still a very strong run funnel guy. He's going to be good in the run. They lost him in his leadership last year. I want to say it was week two or week three. That was a big impact for their run game too. So uh, for me, the defense, like a lot of people think, well, Vic Fangio's gone. 
Defense is going to take a fall. I, I think it's the opposite. I think the defense actually improved at the spot they needed to. I think they're going to be just as good, if not better, this year. That would be great news for the Broncos as a whole. Ryan, this has been amazing, amazing content, marrying the NFL with fantasy. One more question. We'll get you out of here. Broncos schedule and projection. Broncos 17th in Vegas projected opposing win totals per Warren Sharp. The over-under is 10. I think that's interesting because the Chiefs over-under is 10 and a half, just a half win behind. Chiefs have dominated six years in a row winning the division. I love the Broncos to win the division. I think they are a dark horse to make the Super Bowl. Very high on this Broncos team. Talk about their schedule and where you think they end up this year in 2022. Well, it's, it's a relatively soft soft open for them, right? I mean, they got the Seahawks, they got the Texans. You know, even having the 49ers at home is a little bit of a boost with Trey Lance. We'll see what that ends up looking like. But uh, the 49ers aren't going to be easy out by any stretch. They're a good team. But uh, the Broncos, I think, for easing this thing in, especially because the offense might take a little bit of time to really get everything together, um, I, I think it couldn't have been better. And they, they close with, with a tough schedule, right? But you're also playing the teams that you need to beat in order to win that division, as you pointed out. You got the Chiefs, you got the Chargers at the very end. You got the Rams on Christmas, which is going to be a tough one. Um, it, it, they they line up to hit around that 10 or 11 win mark, and they could have a couple of bounces go their way. Again, the leadership's going to be important. The biggest questions come for this team right now about uh, you know the coaching staff jiving and, and mixing with this this team and it all kind of coming together at the right time. I can understand the questions about that. Some of the questions about Russell Wilson coming off of an injured season, but but in the end, you're right. I mean, they got a defense that's going to keep them stable, right? And that's what the Broncos have been relying on. And you need the offense to produce around 24 points per game, which would have been, I mean, it's about league average, right? And they would have been just a little under what the Raiders were last year. But for the Broncos, that'll keep them competitive in every single game. And if you can marry that with a top five defense, that'll get you by for a little while while you're figuring things out. I, I think they're in pretty good shape too. Ryan, I agree with you completely. Folks, Ryan Edwards on Twitter at R Edwards Radio does great sports talk there on KOA Colorado, six to nine mountain time. Ryan, thank you for a few minutes. Very high on the Broncos here. It's August. We can sense the season coming, and we had to have you on here to give us a breakdown. Love the Broncos and what's going on this year. Best of luck during the season. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. We are in the home stretch. Just a couple teams left here to preview as we went around each and every one of the 32 NFL teams. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand. Today, we have a very intriguing team, one of the best teams in the NFL over the last decade or so, of course, the New Orleans Saints. And who better to come in to talk about the Saints than Jim Derry? You can find him on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. He's a sports betting writer at betnola.com and the Advocate Sports and does play-by-play -play for VCN Louisiana as well. Great insight, great mind here, ready to give us insight on New Orleans. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Glad to be here, Mike. It's uh, getting close. We're getting close. Yeah, we're getting close. Very exciting. Of course, I had the Hall of Fame game, so I feel like that turns the corner for sports fans. It was a dead time. Now we can really get into it, looking not only at fantasy, but bets as well. So let's start here with the Saints. Year one of Dennis Allen, Sean Payton, incredibly successful 2009 Super Bowl champion, what new things have you seen or heard about here with Dennis Allen? Of course, he was in the system, so it's not drastic changes, but no Sean Payton here for the first time. How does it look so far? What have you seen here out of Saints camp? You know, I don't expect a whole lot of changes. I mean, to be honest, the the, the fact that they're going into the season healthy is a, a huge deal for them. And, you know, Dennis Allen has been in this, been with this team for seven years now. Um, and so I don't expect a lot of changes on defense. Pete Carmichael, who has been with, was with Sean Payton throughout, uh, is taking over the, the reins of play calling, and I don't see a lot of changes there. Um, so really, um, obviously you're losing a potential Hall of Fame co head coach, but 
um, all these guys that are here are the guys that were working for Sean, and I, I don't expect too much to change. What's unique about the Saints is there's an injury or potential looming issue with each of the core players at quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Let's start with running back here. Alvin Kamara, of course. What are you hearing? Mark Ingram now is back in the bayou, 32 years old, but they were dominant. Help me with a fantasy title here, Jim, years ago. Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara. What are you hearing here with Alvin Kamara? Is there going to be a suspension possibly, or is this simply something that's going to get pushed back? Because Alvin Kamara, one of the most dynamic players in the NFL, and Mark Ingram coming back here to an era he had a lot of success. Let's start with the backfield here in New Orleans. Well, Alvin Kamara is going to get suspended one, one way or the other, whether it's 2022 or 2023, he's going to get suspended. It's looking more and more like it's going to be 2023, which is good news and bad news for Saints fans. Uh, the good news is, uh, you you know, when you're going into a season with a new head coach, you want to have your all your bullets in the gun. And Alvin Kamara, obviously, is one of the most dynamic running backs in the NFL. But his court date keeps getting pushed back, and this is the court date just to set a trial. Um, so it's looking more and more like it won't be done before the end of the year. So, you know, it's also good for, for guys out there and, and gals who play fantasy football and see Alvin Kamara's uh, – dropping to the second, maybe third round and because people are scared of him. And I can tell you that if I were drafting tomorrow and Alvin Kamara were there in the second round, I would not hesitate at all to take him because I really don't think he's going to be suspended this year. I think it's going to be 2023. Well, let's get to the wide receiver then, of course, Michael Thomas. Sort of a polarizing player. I mean, uber productive, great player, but has been out here with the injury. Chris Olave now in camp as well. Talk about the target distribution. Is Thomas going to be ready to roll week one? We've seen videos of him running routes and things like that in the offseason. But you have Jameis, who we'll get to in a minute. But let's look at the wide receiver and tight end position because it's the target distribution here. Kamara's healthy, and he's ready to go. No suspension. He's going to get a dominant amount of touches. But Michael Thomas is a guy who used to lead the league in receptions, coming back now, sort of an unknown target share here, wide receiver, tight end. You know, interestingly, the Saints go from one of the worst wide receiving cores last year, the NFL with all the injuries they had, and, uh, you know, their number four receiver this year, Marcus Callaway, is now their – I mean, he was number one last year. He was number year. one, yes. And so now he's number four because of all the uh, – what they get back health-wise. And you start with Michael Thomas, and Michael Thomas got a big chip on his shoulder. I mean, I, I don't know who's into the sports betting world, but I think uh, Michael Thomas for comeback player of the year isn't a bad – Bad bet. Uh, he was twelve great to one call. last week, and uh, and I think it's down to ten to one. But still, a, a great bet. Not knowing what Sean Watson's going to do in Cleveland, um, and so Michael Thomas is ready to go. He's got a chip on his shoulder. I think he has a lot to prove. He reads everything there is to read on social media. Every negative thing that's ever said about him, he has read it. I promise you, and uh, he is ready to, to prove something to the world. And I think he's going to have a, a great bounce back season. Now, I don't know exactly what that means as far as number of catches. You know, we've seen him have 140 catches in a season. I don't think we're talking about that, but I think there's an excellent chance he has 80, 90, maybe even 100 receptions because he's full go already in practice. He should be ready to go week one at full go. Yeah, and you have a target hogs now at yeah. wide receiver. Jarvis Landry, of course, he's a PPR magnet here for us. Michael Thomas, Alave, looks like those are going to be the top three guys, I would think, across the board of wide out. Yeah, Chris Olave's been outstanding in camp so far, and he has obviously been someone that Jameis Winston has been 
been targeting and looking at. And then you talk about Jarvis Lander, who come in and basically already has shown that he's going to be a team captain. He is from the New Orleans area. He went to Lutcher High School, which is just about 30 miles west of New Orleans. And uh, he, he, he was so glad to be able to come back home along with his friend, Teran Matthew. So uh, I think there's great chemistry. And that's one thing the Saints, whenever they've been successful, it's because they have great team chemistry. And to me, the team really needs to start with the wide receiver position. And they have a ton of them. I think there's plenty of people for Winston to throw to. And I expect Jarvis Landry to be a big part of that. And Chris Olave, I think uh, his rookie campaign could be an interesting one. Jim, tight end position. Adam Troutman, of course, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, the big contract. He was a guy who was they were debating at this time last year whether he's going to be a starting quarterback, sort of jack of all trades there. What are you seeing with Troutman and Taysom Hill's role now that Peyton, who we always viewed as the guy who was supporting Hill, is no longer there? Yeah, they don't call him the Swiss Army knife for nothing. Uh, Taysom Hill is going to be in a very similar role that he's been in. He's listed as a tight end. But you will see him all over the place. You'll see him in the backfield uh, behind the quarterback or next to the quarterback in the pistol. You'll see him under center uh, at times when they need short yard and short yard situations. He's going to play all over the field like he has been. I think he'll be targeted more as a tight end now. But he's dealing with some some injuries as well here in the early part of camp. It'll be interesting to see how he goes along. He's 31 years old now, so he's not a he's not a youngster. Uh, he's been around for a while, so. Uh, all the wear and tear and the injuries that he had last year, um, it would not shock me at all if if Taysom Hill doesn't play more than half the snaps uh, because, so they keep him as fresh as possible. Adam Trotman gets a lot of grief from Saints fans because he's dropped a lot of balls throughout his early career here in New Orleans. But I think he's going to turn into one heck of a tight end. I also think you're going to see him a much bigger part of this offense this year and could be quietly, you know, you talk about fantasy football, down the list when you're when you're in need of a second tight end. Adam Troutman could be a, a, a steal for people because everyone's talking about Taysom Hill. No one's talking about Adam Troutman. He can both block and catch. And now in his third year, you know, he came from Dayton. He didn't play a lot of big schools when he was in college. I think now he's ready to take the next step. And I really like him this year to, to, to be a big part of this offense. Yeah, has tremendous agility, athletic player there, 6'5", 255. Yep. Third year could be key here for Troutman. That's a great call. Offensive line here, Jim. Our own Justin Edwards ranks the Saints offensive line 23rd in the preseason. Big loss was Teron Armstead, who was great when he played, but he did miss 33 games over the past six years. They took Trevor Penning in round one, Northern Iowa. How does this group project for you? It's critical here, protecting Jameis, going to be back, going to be healthy, running back, full wide receiver core, have to protect it. How's the offensive line project in 2022? I think 23rd is way too low. Um, I'm trying not to be too high in this team. And look, uh, my my friends around New Orleans call me Derry Downer sometimes because I'm a little bit too too down on the Saints. But I tell you, I don't I don't understand the projections on this team at all. And it starts with the offensive line. I think this could be a a top 10 offensive line. I think that's how good they can be. Now, they're going to have to avoid injuries, unlike last year when they had a revolving door all across that front line last year. And missing Teron Armstead is a big deal. But, you know, we joked on uh, my podcast, the Datitude Podcast, with our lead columnist, Jeff Duncan, last week, not this past Friday, but Friday before, Trevor Penning, he was given the over-under on his first fight to be within a week, and he was taking the under. He only needed a day. He's already been in three fights, Trevor Penning, and this guy comes in with attitude. And you know what? That's what this offensive line needs. 
They need some attitude. Now, we don't want them to be Kyle Turley. Uh, we don't want them to go throw helmets around like, like <laughs> Kyle Turley did back in the day. But I think up front, the, they are. Uh, I think they're ready to do what they need to do if they can stay healthy. We worry about left guard. Andres Pete is, it seems to always be banged up. Cesar Ruiz was a center in college. He's, he's playing right guard, and he's had his some issues. But Ryan Ramchek on, on the right side is an anchor. And uh, so if Trevor Penning can turn into anything, and James Hurst, who right now is listed as the starter, who is as solid an offensive line backup is, and he can play any position. So I really think that this line is in good shape. And uh, I don't think they're top tier, but I do think that if they overachieve, they can be bottom of the top 10. And uh, they got to protect Jameis Winston. And the only thing that worries me is a rookie at left tackle with Jameis Winston coming off of an ACL injury. You got to protect that blind side. So if there is a worry, that's where it is. Yeah, but that's a critical point. This line can come together. The weapons are there. Jameis certainly can throw it deep. We saw that with the years with Tampa Bay. A defense, you talk about strength of this team, Jim. Defense, Saints defense is elite. Ranked third in DVOA for football outsiders last year. Prior year, second. This is a mean, tough group. How they look this season so far? What do you see in training camp? Mean and tough is exactly the way to put it. Uh, they all play like, you know, they play like they're getting ranked 30th. I mean, it, it, there's no question this is, this could be the best defense in the NFC. Uh, I, I really believe that. Paulson Adebo at cornerback has has shined a second-year player coming in, and he has obviously worked hard in the offseason. He's ready to take it to the next level. And, you know, if you if you get uh, Paulson Adebo to come in and play and free up Marshawn Lattimore to be one-on-one -on -one more, it's going to make a world of difference. And then the safeties on this team – I mean, it's not just Marcus May and Terran Matthew. You're talking about C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who you want to talk about attitude. No one knows how to pick up the personal foul penalty from the opponents better than uh, we call him C.D. Deuce. That's what he likes to be called, so we'll call him whatever he wants to be called. But there is a lot of attitude in that backfield, and uh, you know it makes it a lot of fun. Uh, question mark maybe at linebacker where Pete Werner is taking over for Quan Alexander, uh, a young guy that showed enough to Dennis Allen that he is ready to take the next step and become a big-time starter. But when you have Demario Davis next to you, you're probably doing okay. Jim, great stuff here as always. Last question, we'll get you out of here. Saints schedule and projection. You are right. If you look at Vegas numbers, the win total is only 8.5, and, and that's juiced to the under this year. Get a nice break with the schedule. Eighth easiest schedule per Vegas projected opposing win totals. Four straight years winning the NFC South. Last year for the second nine and eight. How do you see the schedule and win total for New Orleans this year? Well, first of all, you know, like I said, uh, I I don't want people out there to think that you, here's the New Orleans guy being a homer. I've been called down or enough, um, and uh, but I just don't understand the number on this team. I don't understand nine, nine and a half. Uh, I'm sorry, eight, eight and, eight and a half. Because half, at yeah. Caesars you can get it at eight. Uh, most places it's eight and a half now, but I got it at seven and a half a couple months ago, and I just don't get it. I think. You know, this team won nine games with all the injuries they had. They had the second most amount of players on a team in the history of the NFL last year that started. They had, I believe, 59 different starters last year. That is just an obscene number, and they still found a way to win nine games. Jameis Winston, who you lose your quarterback in game number seven, you still beat Tampa Bay twice. Why? Because of this defense. And so if you, if you put a complimentary offense out there that can be a – 15th, 16th, 17th ranked offense, which I think is more than achievable. And you put them in a potential, you know, you like you talk about 
number two or number three defense. There's no reason why this team can't win 10 or 11 games. And they've shown that they they have Tampa Bay's number. Um, and the other two teams in the division, I think, just fairly, frankly, aren't very good. Atlanta and Carolina just aren't very good. I think Carolina's going to be good. I think they're a little bit away. Atlanta's got a, work, a lot of work to do. But here's the deal when it comes to the Saints and their schedule. They have to start out fast because the easiest part of their schedule is clearly in the front half. And, I mean, you you go and you look after uh, the midway point. You got Ravens, Steelers, but then you got Rams, 49ers, Bucks again. You got Cleveland in the back half, potentially with Deshaun Watson. We don't know how good Philadelphia is going to be. They play there on New Year's Day. They could be in the run of the NFC East title. So the Saints need to get off to a hot start. I think they can start 6-2. and two. If they can, then they can win 10 games. They can put themselves in position potentially to win the NFC South. And I think at a, a great bargain at three and a half to one, if you're out there in the betting world, uh, another number that's a great value because Tampa, obviously not saying they're not going to win the division because they certainly should be the favorites, but the Saints at three and a half to one, I think are the best value in the division. Folks, that's a compelling case here for New Orleans. You want to stay downer. I didn't hear that at all, but it's good logic reasoning. Jim Derry Jr. on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. Follow him, sports betting writer, Bet Nola, Advocate Sports, play-by-play, VCSN, Louisiana, and host of the Datitude podcast. Jim, thanks so much for a few minutes. New Orleans is an intriguing team that may be undersold. I like that number you got them at for the over. That, that's not available anymore. But listen, we'll check in during the season. Best of luck. Thanks so much for joining us. Glad to do it, Mike. Anytime. We'll talk to you during the season. Welcome back to the 4 for 4 Football NFL Team Preview Series. I'm Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Ran. And today, folks, we close it out. Our journey started way back in early July. We've covered each and every one of the 32 NFL teams because we're concluding today with a very critical team, a really quality team, and one that has a lot of impact in the fantasy community, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. And we brought on an expert, as we always do. We're bringing on Brian Peacock the host of the Locked On 49ers podcast. Follow him on Twitter at BD Peacock. Gives you great insight here on San Francisco. He's been kind enough to join us here for 4-4 to finish off the series. Brian, great to have you on. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, I'm pumped for the season to start. Even some of these preseason games that are coming up. Uh, I, I'm excited for it and appreciate you guys inviting me on. Yeah, we're fired up. And listen, San Francisco, obviously massive success, especially the last two seasons. First, we're not going to bury the lead. Let's talk about Trey Lance. Trey Lance's career is here. The Trey Lance season is ready to go. Mike Shanahan made it clear Jimmy G is on his way out. We don't know when that's going to happen. Maybe you give us some insight on that. But it's Trey Lance moving forward. He flashed in six games last year, has a quality arm. You know he can run, which is great for us. There is a strong drumbeat here in social media about Trey Lance being a top 10 fantasy option. Talk about that. Talk about Trey Lance, Jimmy G. It's his team, right? How's it going to go? Yep, it's Trey Lance's team. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even get the uh, 2022 playbook dropped on him by Kyle Shanahan. So he's just doing his own thing. And I was at training camp uh, last week, and it's it's a really odd situation because Jimmy G comes out before the team, does his own thing, works on his throws a little bit. And he's you know he's ramping up his his throwing sessions. And then he disappears, and the 49ers come out and practice without him. It's the oddest thing. The unofficial training, uh, the unofficial depth chart came out. Jimmy Garoppolo is listed as the fourth quarterback. So um, the the deadline is the the final cuts, the final roster. So Jimmy not Jimmy's not going to be on the final roster. They want to roll that twenty five million dollars over to next year to the salary cap and 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 save that. And so if sometime between now and then a team can come to the 49ers with a deal that is better for them than just releasing Jimmy and getting that cap savings, then they'll take that deal. 
So they're kind of hanging on and waiting to see if someone gets injured in, in another camp or, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, Trey Lance gets hurt in 49ers camp. And then maybe we have to, you know, go through all this again with Jimmy G. Um, but it's unlikely. I think he'll end up getting released. Uh, so, yeah, that's the story with with Jimmy G. And it's Trey Lance's time, man. And, and the sky's the limit for Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan's offense. And that's the excitement there. Um, the question with Trey Lance becomes how quickly is he going to how, how quickly is he going to be efficient enough to just be a, a fantasy stud if you're looking at it from just a fantasy perspective and Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't perfect but he was pretty efficient and so I think that's where you worry about Trey Lance uh, the training camp practices I saw and, and really just throughout camp and, and we saw it a little bit last year there's going to be some up and down so it might be a little bit of a roller coaster but with all the talent around Trey Lance and a head coach and a play caller like Kyle Shanahan that gets the most out of his guys and the running ability. Uh, I think there's a lot of fantasy value here for Trey Lance, even in year one as a starter. And you talk about offensive firepower starts, of course, with Debo Samuel. Debo got his deal here done three years, 71 million, including 58 million guaranteed. He's primary weapon number one, but there's a lot of buzz I'm reading about Brendan Ayuk coming out of camp as well. George Killer, one of the best tight ends in football. Is there going to be enough passing volume, is my question, to support these weapons? I know they're going to be good on the field. We'll get to the defense as well, which is superior. But do you think all of these guys are going to have enough volume? How is Ayuk? Is that really their smoke to that fire, you know, with what's going on there? Talk about the three main weapons here in the passing game for Trey Lance. Yeah, we were asked the question on Lockdown 49ers this week from a listener. Can the 49ers have three 1,000-yard receivers? And going back, I was, I was kind of surprised. And I, I mean, you know, I lived through last season. I've looked at the numbers a million times, and I was kind of surprised how close they were last year to doing it. And that was with, with Brandon Ayuk starting the year in the doghouse. And so um, George Kittle had 900-something yards. We've seen him have 1,300-yard receiving seasons. It wouldn't be a shock at all to see Debo and Kittle do that. And, yeah, the, the star player on the offensive side of the ball this training camp for the 49ers has been Brandon Ayuk. He's got a good rapport with Trey Lance. They've worked out together a ton in the offseason. They've been the closest players on the team. It's been the guy that's worked out with Lance the most and, and has been the closest to him. So, and there's clearly something there. And, and I think, you know, the skill sets are complementary between what Ayuk can do, what Debo Samuel can do. And so I think some of the deep balls could go Ayuk's way. And he's winning more contested catches than he did before, which is really big for him. And he's, he's just visibly, visibly bigger and stronger, you can tell. And so I think he took his preparation really seriously this offseason. That was the problem that Kyle Shanahan spoke about uh, during camp that was the reason that Ayuk ended up in the doghouse because everyone was last year at this time, everyone was so excited about Ayuk, right? And just like they are again getting excited by Ayuk. And it was Debo Samuel had the crazy year three takeoff. So maybe it's time for Brandon Ayuk's year three takeoff this year, but he is blocked by for being a huge volume guy just because of the other guys on the roster and, and how much is Kyle Shanahan gonna let Trey Lance throw. Now I think the running ability for Trey Lance makes up some of that for his fantasy value, but just overall passing numbers, I don't envision it being a super high volume passing offense. But once you get past Kittle and Ayuk and Debo Samuel, I don't think there's you know a number three receiver or a running back or anybody on the roster that's gonna just get a ton of touches. So I think it's gonna be those three guys all day, and it might be Debo here, Kittle here. You know, Ayuk gets a game here or there where where they all have big games. Um, and I could spell some a pretty nice season for Brandon Ayuk, but I just don't know if the volume is going to be there for him to go absolutely crazy like Debo did. But he could eat into some of that Debo usage.
You know, that's a fascinating point. May not be a ton of passing volume, but maybe enough passing volume to get 3,000-yard receivers, including tight end. That's a great, great point. Brian, let's go to the running backs here. We've seen this before. Favor coming into last year, Raheem Mostert, after he had the monster season two years ago, especially in the playoffs. But then Elijah Elijah Mitchell stole the show. Now it's Mitchell leading the way and Tyrion Davis-Price lurking. Break down the pecking order here. Very deep backfield. I'm a Jeff Wilson truther. Jermichael Hasty, Trey Sermon. How's the backfield shake out here in San Francisco this season? Well, the thing is, Kyle Shanahan's a Jeff Wilson truther too. So he's going to be on the field, and he trusts him in pass protection, and he trusts him as a player. Uh, everyone loves him. He's a, he's a special teams guy, so he's going to be on the team. He's going to have a role. He's going to have a uniform on game days. And so how many guys are going to have a role behind Elijah Mitchell? Elijah Mitchell's clearly the running back one right now. And, you know, he had a really nice rookie season, almost a 1,000-yard rusher, broke the 49ers rookie rushing record last year very quietly. And uh, he's just really good in Kyle Shanahan's outside zone scheme. He wasn't as good as an inside runner. All the rest of the, not all the rest of them, but most of the rest of the guys, little bigger body backs, and and uh, you might project to be better between the tackles when in Ty Davis Price and, and Trey Sermon. So, um, but in the end, and we've seen it, you you named off all the speedy running backs. It's all the the fast guys, the the outside zone. That's what it's all about with Kyle Shanahan. Those are the guys that end up being the best backs for Kyle Shanahan. And so I envision Elijah Mitchell being the guy. Now the number two is in question. It's been up and down in camp for the rookie Ty Davis Price. Trey Sermon came into camp in great shape. In fact, today he had it one of his best days in camp that we've seen, and he's been catching the ball well too. So I mean, it could be him at RB2. It could be Jeff Wilson RB2. It could eventually be Ty Davis Price, although I would probably calm down on that a little bit, at least to start the season. Although who who saw Elijah Mitchell come in last year at this time? He was kind of banged up in training camp and all of a sudden he was the dude. So um, all that is to say, and, and this is sort of the thing I've always done with Kyle Shanahan running backs. You want to have one on your roster. So whichever guy's the cheapest, go target him late in your draft. And at some point you probably will benefit throughout the season. So that to me, that's probably going to end up being Jeff Wilson or Trey Sermon. That's been very successful in the past. And I think the narrative here that we've talked about, Brian, is that Shanahan uses a lot of running backs. That's not necessarily true. He uses them if they get hurt. But he usually, correct, rides one guy. One guy, whether it's Mostert, whether it's Mitchell, is going to, you know, Jeff Wilson when people were injured. I think he doesn't like to do a running back by committee, but he likes to have a lot of running backs available to plug in that role. But the guy who's in the backfield, he gets touches, correct? Yes, he. it's not a committee back until – the first guy gets hurt because he runs the first guy into the ground. Then the second guy's up and then he gets hurt. And then the third guy comes up, you know? And so once he finds a player, he, he, he utilizes them. That's what we saw last year with, with Elijah Mitchell. There was a game last year. Elijah Mitchell was a game time decision. Didn't practice all week. Got 27 carries in a game. Oh, so, Brian, I remember that. That may have yeah. hurt me in DFS a little bit. I, I, I remember that. Yes, I don't sir. think I started in that week. I might've like overslept or something. I didn't put him in the lineup when I saw that he was actually going to play. Yeah, so uh, the Kyle Shanahan backfield is always valuable, but can be flummoxing at times as well. So uh, it's going to be a fun ride this year. There's a lot of talent, and I mean, there's going to be some talent that's, that's probably cut. And by the way, the next Jeff Wilson is the undrafted free agent out of Georgia Tech and Jordan Mason. He's probably going to have to start on the practice squad if he doesn't get poached if they waive him. Uh, Jermichael Hasty is lurking as well as sort of a passing down back, and he's got a little bit more uh, jitterbug to him than the other backs do. Uh, and he's going to have a tough time making the team as well, but he could have a role if he does make the team as a pass catcher. So, yeah, there's a lot of backs there, a lot of mouths to feed, but clearly Elijah Mitchell's running back one. If you don't get him, I would wait until you see something that you feel like is a value and then draft one of those other guys and, and, and see if he ends up being the guy and getting a shot in Kyle Shanahan's backfield this year. 
Let's turn to offensive line. Our own Justin Edwards ranked San Francisco's line 13th best heading into the season. Cam Mack retired, but listen, death taxes and Trent Williams, Mr. 99 and Madden, first offensive play, uh, offensive lineman to get that. Uh, talk about the O-line, how you think it's going to go, because protecting Trey Lance obviously exponentially helps his ability to produce. It's the one thing I'm most worried about with the 49ers roster, and, and I think 13 is fair and maybe even gives them a little extra credit because they've got three of five new starters than they had last year. And most of training camp, it's been five of five new players because Trent Williams hasn't been practicing a lot. Mike McGlinchey coming off an injury hasn't been practicing a lot. And so the defense has been dominating the 49ers offensive line in practice, making things a little bit more difficult. And you don't want things to be more difficult for your first year starting quarterback. So uh, the running game is going to be key and protecting Trey Lance is going to be key. You don't have to worry about uh, you don't have to worry about Trent Williams when he's in there, but he's only played 16 games in his career twice. He missed some games last year, too. So uh, if he's out, he starts to worry me a little bit. Uh, he's healthy to start the season, so that should be fine. We'll see how Aaron Banks comes along. Worried about him at left guard a little bit. The rookie Spencer Burford, though, uh, has come in and just looks solid from day one. And they, he's taking every yeah. first team rep at right guard. So fourth rounder, looks like they're plugging him in at right guard. And Daniel Brunskill was the right guard last year is uh, looking like he might be a super sub this year. He's battling with Jake Brendel, the journeyman, for the center spot. So a little bit worried about how things could turn out on the interior for the 49ers, but you could also, um, you know, with some young players and some development there, have a really good offensive line eventually too. So it's worrisome, but there's uh, there's some optimism that it could be a really good unit, and it, it needs to be a good unit to protect Trey Lance. Uh, but I think Trey Lance is going to have value, and, you know, Kyle Shanahan is going to find a way to scheme open some uh, some big lanes for those runners, too. This defense has been one of the best in the NFL for a while, and we saw it last year in the playoffs. Almost got you back to a second Super Bowl there. Improved DVOA from 11th to 6th. I mean, it got better. New additions, changes. Defense, I think, is going to be steadfast. I see on social media the offensive players saying, look, we're ready to go in the season. we got to go against the defense in practice. Talk here about the Niners' defensive line and, and defensive overall. Yeah, and you don't you don't really scheme against your own team's defense in practice and training camp either because you're working on stuff and in one on ones nobody's getting open except for Brandon Ayuk before Debo came to camp and and Debo's still working on his rapport I think with Trey Lance a little bit on the deep ball but you know I think we know Debo's going to get his regardless but man the, the the defense has really been shutting him down obviously Nick Bose is a stud and uh, he he's going to have a monster season I'm almost getting worried you know how they say that if your body fat percentage gets too low like below four percent it's unhealthy nick bose is teetering on that right now like there's something insane with that guy and his work ethic and and, and his makeup and, and biology because uh he's a freak of nature he's going to be a monster this year they spent so many resources on the defensive line so you know it's going to be good they've got a rotation on the other side with the rookie drake jackson samson Abelcon. they brought in uh Kamoko Toure to rush off the edge. You've got Eric Armstead and Kinlaw, the Twin Towers inside, and, and Kinlaw is going to be more of a, a block taker-upper, I think, this year than than the, the three-tech pass rush guy they thought they might have been drafting in the first round, but he's looking like he's in prime shape as well. Best linebacker group in the league, led by Fred Warner, and then the addition of Charvarius Ward. I didn't realize how good he was when the 49ers signed him, and he's been everything and more, and he's locked up one side. Emmanuel Mosley's been perennial underrated on the other side Jason Verrett recovering from injury so they got some depth at cornerback as well along with uh, you know four young players that they've drafted two corners the last two years to to fill in with depth so it, it's a really solid unit with Jimmy Ward in center field and um, you know maybe a little bit of a battle going on and it looks like it's going to be Talano Hufanga at strong safety more of a uh, move forward guy than move backwards so maybe that's where teams might be able to to, to gash the 49ers if they uh, get 
get uh, Hufanga in deep coverage, but it looks like it's going to be a really good unit, probably the best defense the 49ers have had since that Super Bowl team in 2019. Brian, this has been amazing insight. So much detail. Last question here, wrap up our series. 49ers schedule and projection, 13 strength of schedule per Vegas opposing projected win totals this year. DraftKings has 10 total wins, is juiced to the under, however. 49ers have alternated winning, losing seasons four straight years. You have a trip to the Super Bowl, almost won that one, and the NFC Championship close loss last year. How do you see this year for San Francisco? Talk about their schedule and your projection. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, it's a tough schedule. They've got a lot of good teams on the schedule. The NFC West isn't quite as strong as it was in the past, but they're playing the AFC West too. And I, I think the 49ers have a good chance because they can use the same formula they use to get there with Jimmy Garoppolo. And even if Trey Lance has some hiccups, you know, maybe they don't blow through the league and win, you know, 13 games or anything like that. But I think they can absolutely be a 10 win team, get into the playoffs, watch Trey Lance's growth. But clearly, as Trey Lance goes, the team's going to go. But Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't perfect either. Kyle Shanahan's going to scheme some things as he needs to. They're going to play defense and they're going to run the ball. And that's a great recipe for winning in the National Football League. Folks, Brian Peacock, tremendous insight here. Host of the Locked On 49ers podcast at BD Peacock on Twitter. Thank you so much, everyone. It has been great hosting this series of 4 for 4 football. Love it here. Got through each and every one of the NFL teams. We are excited about the season. Brian, thank you so much for a few minutes here. San Francisco is going to be right in the mix again, both in real football and fantasy football. We appreciate your insight. Hey, and here's the hoping we get that, that year two Lamar Jackson, uh, Patrick oh, yeah. Mahomes, MVP season for Trey Lance. Then the Niners really be cooking. But yeah, a, a lot of betters will be happy with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be happy with the playoff berth, though. I think it's going to be a really fun team to follow this year for sure. Great. Thanks. Take care, Brian. We'll catch up with you during the season. All right. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you.